Genesis chapter 4, right at the beginning of our Bibles, page 4, in our Adoration Bibles, 1 John 3, on page 1303. Genesis chapter 4, the Word of God. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I did not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has, been opened, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he called the name of his city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in the tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me and a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time the people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Turn with me also to John, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, page 1303 in your Pew Edition Bibles.
1 John chapter 3, beginning reading at verse 10 and read through verse 24. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and so we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For never a heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So far, God's holy word. Let's also turn to Lord's Day 2 in the Catechism. Page 202 in the Forms and Prayers books. According to question and answer two of the catechism, there's three things we need to know if we want to live and die in the joy of Christian comfort. And the first of those things is how great our sin and misery are. That's the key focus of Lord's Days 2 through 4, the depth of man's misery. And so we come to Lord's Day 2 this morning because these answers faithfully summarize the Bible. We confess these words in our hearts. We take these words upon our lips. I'll read the questions. Let's respond by reading the answers together. Beloved, how do you come to know your misery? The law of God tells me. What does God require of us? Christ teaches this in this summary in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven to 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Can you live up to all this perfectly? No. I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. So far, the faithful summary of God's word. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I wonder this morning just how well do you know your misery? To help us comprehend the depth of our comfort in the Lord Jesus, the Catechism asks us, an intensely personal question, doesn't it? Question three is no less personal 
than question one. It is a question not to drive every believer to his or her knees. How do you come to know your misery? And so this morning's message is all about misery, what it is, how you come to know it, and what the remedy is for it. The authors of our catechism, you see, rightly understood that in order for confessing Christians to know true joy, true comfort in Christ, then they first need to wrestle with these questions. And so they sought to trace our misery to the source. The catechism doesn't ask whether or not you're miserable. Everyone is miserable. That's just patently true. Rather, the catechism asks, how do you come to know it? How do you come to to really understand it for what it really is? And the answer that our catechism gives us is as simple as it is profound. It's as simple enough for even the youngest of you children to understand. How do you come to know your misery? The law of God tells me. After coming to faith in Christ, a new Christian once said it this way, Once I was a stranger, a stranger to God and a stranger to my heart. I knew no sin and I felt so smart. But when the Spirit of Christ opened up his eyes and ears to the law of God, he was cut to the heart, to the core of his being. And that's how the Spirit of Christ intends to use the Bible's teaching in Lord's Day 2 this morning. He intends to cut us to the heart, to highlight for us once again something we could not otherwise see clearly on our own. And here it is, I know my misery because through the law, I now know myself. The law has revealed something about me that I would not otherwise see clearly on my own. Without the law, I could blame my misery on many other things, on my upbringing, on other people on various things that have happened to me throughout my life. And in every instance, I'd be the one pointing the finger at something or somebody else. That's why, that's why, that's where my misery comes from. But when the catechism asks the question, how do you come to know your misery? It answers by raising a mirror and holding it right before my face. It answers us by reminding us that you can never point the finger at something or somebody else without having three other fingers pointing directly back at yourself. And what the Bible's teaching all boils down to, people of God, is that we are not who we were made to be. We are no longer able to do what we were made to do. We were made to be children of God, but through sin we became children of the devil. We were made to love God, to to love our neighbor as ourselves. But through sin, we became haters of God and intoxicated by the love of ourselves. When sin entered the world, we became rebellious lawbreakers, thus fracturing our relationship with God and with one another. And that's our misery. In his Institutes of the Christian Religion, John Calvin underscored this very thing. Not only did he say that the law of God functions like a mirror by which we see our sinfulness in light, of, uh, in light of God's righteousness. But he also spoke of the necessity of the law's revelation in this way. He said, for man being so blinded, for man being blinded and drunk with self-love, he must be compelled to know, he must be compelled to confess his own feebleness and impurity. 
And that's what the law does. It compels us to see ourselves for who we really are apart from the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what John Calvin was saying, what our catechism is saying this morning is that in order for us to see our need for mercy, we must first be confronted with the weight of our misery. And the weight of our misery is only felt when we begin to measure our lovelessness against the perfect love that God requires of us in his law. The law of God compels us to know and to confess that we are miserable. And so we need his mercy. The law of God, the law of love exposes the true misery of humanity's hatred. That's the teaching of the Bible. Through the law comes knowledge of sin, said the Apostle Paul. And so that's at the heart of our Lord's Day this morning. The law of love exposes our misery and compels us to plea for mercy. For us to fully understand that we need to consider three things together this morning. Firstly, we need to wrestle with God's diagnosis of the human heart. Secondly, we need to feel the weight of God's decrees for helpless humanity. And finally, we need to rest in God's deliverance. God's deliverance amidst humanity's hatred. When we come to the first few verses of Genesis chapter 4, we, we know what's happened. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have fallen into sin. God has cursed the serpent. He's cursed the ground for man. He's cursed childbearing for the woman. But clinging to the covenant promise, Adam calls his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. And so when you come to the first few verses of Genesis chapter 4, it doesn't really seem like a whole lot has changed. In verse 1, you have a husband and a wife who've given birth to a son. I've, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord, Eve exclaims. And they call him Cain. And they give birth to another son, Abel, a little brother for Cain. It's, it appears to be a picture-perfect family, doesn't it? You can just about imagine little Cain and Abel playing together as children. And as they mature, you can picture them learning to work in the field and, and learning to tend the animals with dad. And as they mature, as you would expect, each one takes after his own interests. Abel takes after the tending of the sheep, and Cain takes after the keeping of the ground. In addition to family and work, you also have worship. In verse 3, in the course of time, each brother brings his offerings before God. Adam and Eve must have taught their children that we bring offerings before the Lord to, to respond to his grace, to, to show that we're dedicated to loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so it doesn't really seem like a whole lot has changed. The world hardly seems like it's become totally torn and tattered by sin. Until you come to verse 4, and there it is. There's the curse at work. There's the antithesis between Seed of woman and seed of serpent. We read in Hebrews chapter 11 that by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. The narrative of Genesis 4 tells us the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. Unlike Abel, you see, Cain did not bring his offering as faith, so Cain was very angry, and his face fell. But with whom is, God, is Cain so angry? Boys and girls, I want you to think about that. With whom is Cain so angry? 
Because the answer isn't just Abel. Yes, Cain is going to kill his brother Abel, but with whom is Cain the most angry? Cain's response tells us everything we need to know. If Cain's heart were in the right place, if Cain's heart was not so hardened by sin, then instead of becoming angry, he would have instead responded to God's rejection in a very different way. If Cain loved the Lord, then he would have responded in repentance and faith. But that's not how Cain responds, is it? Because Cain hates the Lord. You can almost picture him, can't you? His face is fallen. He hates God, and so he hates his brother Abel, who loves God. The Apostle John gives a glimpse into Cain's heart when he says in chapter 3, verse 12, that Cain killed Abel because his own deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Cain is a miserable lawbreaker who has no regard for the gracious lawgiver. Cain is angry at God. Cain doesn't love the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he certainly doesn't love his neighbor as himself. And the reason for that is because our catechism says Cain is inclined by nature to hate God. And he's inclined by nature to hate his neighbor. He's inclined to hate his brother Abel. And yet God still comes to Cain with a gracious warning in verse 6. The Lord says to Cain, why are you so angry and and why is your face fallen? If you do well, don't you know that you will be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, Cain. Cain. But you must rule over it. Using his holy law as a spiritual MRI machine, God is examining Cain's heart. He, he sees the problem and he's calling Cain to deal with the problem. Cain, you see, has a miserable heart condition which he refuses to recognize. And because his heart is so hard, he has no regard for the God of grace. Like a lion crouching in the tall grass, ready to to lunge forward and consume his prey, sin in the same way is crouching at the door of Cain's heart, ready to consume him, ready to rule over him, ready to consume him with unrighteous rage and fury against God and against the law of God. Cain's heart is hard. As the prophet Jeremiah would say, Cain's heart is wicked, is desperately sick, and only God here can understand it. The Bible speaks a lot about the heart, boys and girls, because the heart is the storehouse of our affections. And as the storehouse of our affections, that's always where our misery begins, with with the direction of our affections. The source of our misery lies in the corrupt condition of the heart where we're naturally inclined to direct all our affection towards ourself rather than towards God and to each other. And unless our hearts are recalibrated by the Spirit of Christ, our hearts are bent on hatred, on hating God, on killing our brother. And that's our misery. God diagnoses the condition of the human heart. And the instrument that he chooses to use to do that is the law of love. 
We all know how important a correct diagnosis can be, don't we? We all know how necessary a correct diagnosis is if you want to know fully everything that's going on, but also if you want to know how to treat the problem. To ensure that you don't just treat the symptoms, but that you treat the disease itself. And therein lies the problem of the world. They know their misery, but they've gotten the diagnosis all wrong. And because they've gotten the diagnosis all wrong, they've also gotten the treatment all wrong. And so they spend their lives trying to treat the symptoms, but not the sores. And because they don't treat the sores, because they don't get to the source of their misery, they die. And that's the way it was for Cain. Cain refused to analyze and to examine his heart. He saw the symptoms of sin in the world, but he refused to look at the source. He refused to look in the mirror. He refused to examine himself in the light of God's law. And because he would not be humbled by the source of his misery, he did not know how to plea for mercy. Even when Cain is eventually punished by God, even then, Cain has no fear of God, only fear of man. But what if people see me and kill me, Cain says? He cares only for his body and nothing for his soul. We read a passage like this and we see the misery. We see it even more clearly than Cain did. And that's because with the eyes of faith and we hold up the mirror of God's law before our own faces, we see that apart from his grace, we're not so far from Cain. Because when we look at Cain, we examine Cain's heart, his law-breaking heart, we begin to see glimpses of ourselves, don't we? Because we too, by nature, are to be the same way. We too, by nature, are prone, we're inclined to to live the same way, to hate God and to hate our neighbor. And that's our misery. That's what God's law reveals about us. The law of love exposes our misery. It exposes the, the misery of humanity's hatred. So we have to be compelled to plead for mercy. Listen again to the words of the apostle. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. When man delights in God's decrees, the psalmist says he is like a tremendous tree planted by the waters who yields its fruit in season, its leaves do not wither, and all that he does he prospers. But for the wicked, it is not so, says the psalmist, for they are like chaff, like the wind blows away. God made the decree in Deuteronomy 27, saying, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things written in the book of the law and do them. And when Jesus came into the world and when he was confronted by a host of, of liberal lawbreakers who sought to serve God only with their hands and not with their hearts, what did Jesus say? When Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment, he responds by highlighting the heart of the law, which is to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself, to love the Lord with with all that you have and all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. He drives them to the heart of the matter. 
That's what God decrees. That's the standard. That's the measure by which we come to know our misery. We've become helpless to do on our own that which God has called us to do. And that's our misery. That's the source of it. Our lovelessness is where all of our misery stems from. It was due to his lovelessness that Cain became angry with God. It was due to his lovelessness that Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, when they were hidden away in the field and rose up to kill his brother. Beloved, do you see this morning the ugliness of our lovelessness? In an explosion of anger against the Lord, Cain brutally murders his brother with his own two hands. Just like us, hatred is ingrained in Cain's spiritual DNA so that he cannot live to God's laws perfectly. Indeed, he doesn't even care to try. And so we find that unless God himself is willing to help us, then we remain helpless. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, says John, that we should love one another. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers, but whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ is summoning you to examine your hearts this morning. Do you struggle with lovelessness? Do you know your lovelessness? Do you see your lovelessness for the misery that it really is? Surely many of you do. What misery it brings. What misery it brings to have a lack of love for our brothers and sisters, to hold grudges against people from the past, to keep anger stored up in our hearts against the brothers. If that describes you this morning, the Spirit of Christ asks the question, how is that working out for you? Is it making your life better? Is it making your life less miserable to to harbor up grudge and anger in your heart? Whoever does not love abides in death. That's what John says. Whoever does not love abides in death. That's the gracious warning of the law. That was what was at the heart of God's warning for Cain. If you do well, you'll be accepted. But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. What does God's law require of us? That we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, that we love our neighbor as ourselves. On these two commandments hang all the law, all the prophets, all of God's commandments boil down to love. The source of our misery can be traced to our lovelessness. Thanks be to God that he offers mercy in the midst of our misery. Because there is a cure for our lovelessness. There is an antidote for our diagnosis. 
1 John 3.16, By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, so that we might also lay down our lives for the brothers. He says in verse 23, And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and so love one another just as he commanded us. And so if you struggle with lovelessness this morning, and no doubt all of you do to varying degrees, because none of you keeps God's law perfectly on your own, then the answer is to believe on the name, to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. To recognize this morning that Jesus didn't come to save the loving and the lovable, but he came to save the unloving and the unlovable. But he did that, congregation, so that we might lay down our lives for the brothers. He did that so he might restore to us the ability to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So we have to let that sit in our hearts this morning. You consider the person sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you, are you willing to lay down your life for that person? Are you willing to crucify, lay it down, your anger? Are you willing to crucify your grudging spirit? Are you willing to kill it for Christ's sake? Because that's what God requires of us in his law. Holding on to grudges and anger won't get you anywhere because that's not how God made you to be. It's not how he calls you to be in Christ Jesus. If you see your brother in need and close up your heart, verse 17, then how does God's love abide in you? We need to keep that question before us. We need to let it grip us. We let that question grip us so we can be compelled again to look to the love of God in Christ Jesus for he is our help in the midst of our helplessness. And Christ is God's deliverance in the midst of humanity's hatred. It speaks volumes, doesn't it, about the nature of humanity when you consider the fact the firstborn child on the earth is a murderer. And not just that, but he was a murderer of his own brother. Seven times in the chapter, the narrator refers to Abel as Cain's brother to underscore the ugliness and the misery of humanity's hatred. Can you imagine how devastating it must have been for Adam and Eve to be confronted with such lovelessness, with the lovelessness of their firstborn son? They probably didn't foresee their children killing each other when they were eating away in the garden. And now Abel has been killed and it would seem as though God has reneged on the promise. When Cain murdered his brother, the narrator of the story tells that the blood of Abel cried out to God from the ground. The blood of Abel cries out to God from the ground for justice. The blood of Abel cries out to God for remedy for the diagnosis. The blood of Abel cried out to God, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Man wasn't made to hate God and his neighbor. Man wasn't made to be so miserable. But look at how miserable man became. 
When you trace out the lineage of Cain, the narrator of the story is very careful to zoom in on Lamech because Lamech is a son of the seventh generation. And as you know, the number seven always speaks of completeness or wholeness in the Bible. And so when the narrator zooms in on Lamech, this son of the seventh generation, that's the spirit of Christ's intention to show us the end result, to reveal the whole of humanity for what it really is apart from the grace of God. And it's an ugly picture, isn't it? Intoxicated by love for self, Lamech takes for himself not one but two wives. Intoxicated by love for self, Lamech does justice Lamech's way. He bursts forth into pagan poetry. I've killed a man for wounding me and a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And so Lamech's song says one commentator thus celebrates the boastful brutality that runs so counter to the law of God. It describes for us the kind of depravity and revenge-seeking that is so common in history and so common up to the present time. Only seven generations from Adam, a complete number of generations, says another writer, and sin has come to full fruition. Human beings boast about their power. Human beings boast about their ability to defend themselves. They don't need God. They don't need his law. They themselves will decide what's good and what's evil. They will be gods to themselves. And yet God remained faithful to the promise. And yet God remained faithful to deliver in the midst of humanity's hatred by preserving the promised seed of the woman. In verse 25, the author zooms back and says, And Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth also a son was born. He called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The blood of Abel cried out for justice. And through the line of Seth, God is going to answer those cries in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's mercy in the midst of our misery. And that's because Jesus alone is the remedy for the diagnosis. He's the solution to the problem. He's the solution for my problem. He's the remedy for my corrupt heart. Jesus laid down his life for me. And so when I struggle to do the same for you, when I struggle to love you as Jesus loved me, what I need to do is to again and again lean on him in repentance and faith. And that's what the Spirit of Christ calls you to do as well this morning. Because whereas the blood of Abel cried out for justice, the blood of Jesus cried out for forgiveness. As his blood was falling to the ground. He was crying out, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Crying out for lawbreakers like you and me. Beloved, we cannot know the depth of God's mercy unless we first come to terms with the depth of our misery. And so we need to constantly hold up the mirror of God's law before our faces. That's how we do it every Sunday. For by so doing, we find not only the source of our misery, but also we begin to discover the magnitude of God's mercy. 
And by that same mercy, as we'll come to confess later on in the catechism, we really do begin to make small beginnings in obedience as we continually look to the love of Christ. And so with faith like Abel's, although we too are once inclined to hate God and to hate our neighbor, we too can sing with the psalmist this morning, I love the Lord. I love the Lord, the fount of life and grace. In life and death, my heart will seek his face. Amen. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, what grace, what mercy you've shown to us, a miserable people. And what a Messiah for a miserable world. That though we hated you and though we hated each other, the love of God was so great that you were willing to give us your only son. And that by him who laid down his life for us, we too might learn to love. That we might learn to lay down our lives for our brothers. Father, we thank you that by your law you've revealed to us our misery. For without the law of God, we would point to all the wrong things. And so we would lose everything, even our very lives, forever. But in your grace and in your mercy, you have impressed the law of the Lord upon our hearts. And you've revealed our lovelessness. And by revealing our lovelessness, you've revealed our misery. And by revealing our misery, you have taught us by the Spirit to plea for mercy. Lord, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that cried out for forgiveness, that we too might be forgiven this morning. We thank you for the Spirit of Jesus who transforms our hearts, who invades our fallen natures, that we begin to say, I love God. We thank you for the Spirit of Christ who dwells even our children's hearts, that they too can sing and say, Jesus loves me, this I know. The Bible surely tells me so. They can believe that by your Spirit. And so what a work of grace, Lord, that you've turned God-haters into God-lovers and neighbor-haters into neighbor-lovers. May you teach us to love each other well, Lord. And may we, the saints of adoration, be willing to lay down our lives for the brothers as Jesus taught us. If there's anger in our hearts or grudges held against a brother in the Lord, may you teach us to forgive. May you root out our anger. May you press upon us that warning. Sin is crouching at the door. It desires to consume us. And may you give us the help of your Son. These things we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. First long of response, let's stand to sing Psalm 116, Selection B. I love the Lord, the fount of life and grace, stanzas one through five, one through five of 116 selection B.